You're listening to... No, that's not real. You're listening to The Heidi Rue Show. Yeah, that's better. Inspiring. Entertaining. Real. The Heidi Rue Show. Well, I'm so happy to have Brian Patrick Flynn on the podcast this week. Uh, Brian is like my favorite interior designer. He's at the top of my list, and I know he will be yours too. The designs are incredible. So we're going to talk to him. But first of all, I want to let you know a little bit about Brian. So he's here in Atlanta, and he's a TV personality. He, you may have seen him on HGTV because he's an HGTV dream home designer. He used to be the host of Movie and a Makeover. And for all you Walking Dead fans, he also designed La- Laura Cohen, who plays Maggie on The Walking Dead. Lauren Cohan. La- Laura Cohan. It's Lauren Cohan and everybody massacres her Oh, name. my gosh. She's so used to it now. Is she? She's oh, fine gosh. with it. Yeah. It's Lauren Cohen. Either it's Laura mm-hmm. Cohen, Laura Cohn, but it's actually Lauren Cohen. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm used well, to doing I that. knew something. <laughs> I know something now. I learned something now. Um, so he designed her home. But now, Brian, you haven't always been an interior designer. You're self-taught. You used to actually be in a, a TV producer, right, in Florida? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to start by saying thank you. I feel like Heidi just oversold me. I consider myself like a solid six on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) on a good day um but yeah i'm an overly enthusiastic self-taught interior designer and decorator depending on the day i'll whatever my title is if i'm not moving walls and i'm not dealing with doors and dealing with ada which is the americans the american with disabilities acts codes things that are very design focused then i i will consider myself a decorator which is when i do like color and fabrics and furniture plans etc but self-taught I went to school to become a television producer, and when I was in college, we all would talk. I went to the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale, and we all had our big dreams. There was this one guy that wanted to be the next Steven Spielberg. There was another guy that wanted to start his own, like his his own DreamWorks, etc. People would ask me what I want to do, and my answer was remarkably specific to the point where people were like, "Like, yeah, that's like so specific that that's not like really going to happen," but. I said I either wanted to become the art director of MTV's The Real World. Do you remember that show? Oh, yeah. Like growing Absolutely. up? Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally. It was yeah. like our first reality oh, show. Oh, sure. Like yeah. some seven people lived, picked to live in one house, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Well, I was blown away. I was born and raised, born and raised in Fort Lauderdale. <clears throat> Everybody listening, I warned Heidi when I walked in this morning <laughs> that I'm a little under the weather. I yes. usually have a little bit more of a confident voice, but now it's going to be rather shaky. Anyhow, uh, I either wanted to become a set decorator or the art director on MTV's The Real World because of all the color. Do you remember the sets? Yes, I totally remember. I mean, I'm picturing it in my mind right now. And the first thing I thought of was color. It's all color and patterned Mm -hmm. in weird furniture and like fish tank walls and pink refrigerators. And I kept thinking that would be the coolest thing ever to have that job. Well... I when I when I went through college, I knew that I, I learned how to write to produce and direct. And I always did really well at set stuff. And so a lot of the lighting majors and like the acting majors, we didn't have the acting majors, but the people who wanted to get out and work in lighting or the people who wanted to work like in audio, we would trade. I would make their sets and decorate their sets. They would do my audio and my lighting. So eventually, while I was still in college, I got kind of an amazing job um, working in news. And I worked in South Florida, right outside of Miami for NBC News. And a lot of the content that I was producing as a junior producer was either science-based or financial-based. And I was fine with it, but I really excelled at home and garden programming. So anytime we'd have like decorating on a budget or things, uh, dog 
plants that are safe for dogs and cats or projects for kids' rooms. I loved those. Like I delved into them and I would do way, way too much research, et cetera. And eventually that was when the TV show that kicked off all the home renovation shows called Trading Spaces came yes. in. Do you remember that one? Uh, yes, of course I remember that. Yeah. And, and it's, they're, bring, it's, yeah. they're bringing it back and I'm so excited. In April. <laughs> and like with all the original people. I know. How is, awesome. Like that's not even possible. Yeah. Have you realized everything's coming back? Roseanne's back. Will and Grace is back. And it's, it's all good. Oh my gosh. I've got to jump on the Will and Grace bandwagon because a friend was just telling me they're like, it picked off right where it left off. It's Absolutely. fantastic. So I got to. There was no transition. Yeah. And so to step back a few steps, I ended up taking this awesome job. I was still in college. I still had a semester or two left. And I think I had like Photoshop and then I also had video editing. And I got offered a job behind the scenes working with designers on a. Uh, a design show on the Discovery Channel called Surprise by Design. And it was the hardest show ever in the history for somebody to work in interior design because the whole transformation of the room happened between like 8 a.m. and like 7 p.m. when the person got home from work. So let's say your significant other went off to like their lawyer's job. They would make sure the person was gone all day. And then there was a team of like 30 of us in there completely like repainting, wallpapering, building the furniture, installing the furniture. And I remember thinking, this is like the biggest crash course ever in learning what an interior design installation mm -hmm. project is like. And because I had to be so quick on my feet, I excelled. And a lot of the producers started asking me when I was behind the scenes as a lowly bottom of the totem pole production assistant They'd be like, that guy with all the energy and the big hair, which would be me. You guys can't see right now, but I have like a lot of hair, almost like some type of, almost like a Muppet. But anyhow, they would, they were like, hey, my wife and I are expecting our first kid and we want to do a nursery. And we, we kind of think that you'd be a good fit. If we were to, if we could throw like a couple thousand dollars away, would you want to help us with our nursery? And so I started to do that just for fun on the weekends. And the, the majority of them were atrocious. I mean, the budgets were so small. It was more like me just playing with color and pattern and texture. And then all of a sudden... This brand new show started in Atlanta. I was living in Miami at the time, and it was called, oh my gosh, what was it called? It was a landscaping show on the Discovery Channel, which was called Rally Around the House. It only lasted one season. It was really fun, but it never really caught on. And I also learned landscaping, and then I learned about code regulations and things that were weather. I really sponged all the stuff that wasn't fun. Like when people would talk about, oh, that has been that wood has been treated with arsenic, so we can't use that for an interior project because it's poisonous. Or this has not been treated, which means in the next three weeks it's going to warp. You can't paint that deck yet. We have to make sure that um, we give three or four months so you can actually paint the, the, for, the, for the wood to cure. I learned all these interesting things that I wouldn't have learned at film school. And then out of nowhere, when that show did not get picked up, out of nowhere, randomly a producer called me and said, hey, we heard that here in town, there's a PA who understands interior design and decorating and you're the one and we need somebody to help log tapes and write scripts and we wanted to see if you'd be interested and that was TBS. And I came on as a producer and then after about five or six months, I kept casting interior designers and either the interior designers did absolutely beautiful work on camera but they would fall flat personality-wise as far as not having the energy because it's not for everyone. Having a camera up in your grill is right. not the funnest thing ever. Yeah. When you're like, when you're like, you've got snot in your nose and right. you're painting, you're painting something <laughs> and you've got a dirty shirt on. But anyhow, I went to my own producer and I said, "Hey, we're going back and forth here. We've got people who do amazing spaces, but then they fall flat on camera and we're cutting away to B-roll because their personalities aren't shining. Or we've got." badass personalities and then these flat rooms that I'm having to go back in and kind of jazz up to make more telegenic. And my boss was like, all right, let's try an episode and you can just do behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And I did it. And because I went to school for TV and film, I didn't want to be on camera, but I knew how to be directed and how to direct. And 
It worked. And that was um, a nine-year job. Can you imagine nowadays nine, having a job for nine no, years? That's crazy. You're an actress, yes, right? Yes. So, so like, yeah. You I, audition. Uh-huh, you know what it's like. Totally. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was uh, the voice of Belk for, I think, two and a half years. That's a good that gig. Was, yeah. That was like amazing. I kept thinking. I mean, after a year, you're just like, okay, when are they going to get somebody else? Because that just happens. You By know? the way. Don't you hate the way that our our minds are programmed since we work in production? Yes. Like, instead of just enjoying the moment when <laughs> yes. you have your dream gig, in your mind, even when you were doing those voiceovers, you're like, well, after what's next? Yeah. Like, this is going to go away. Right. And right. that's very similar to working mm. as an interior designer because you're only as strong as your latest project. Mm. And so what I did was when TBS started to have me on as a producer and one of the designers on movie and a makeover, which was a Saturday morning show. And um, because I had a limited audience, not everybody's home watching TV on Saturday morning. So I was able to like be on a show for nine years, but not necessarily be famous, which is what I wanted because I went to school hopefully to be behind the scenes. But what I did was I poured all of the money, like a lot of the money that I made, I poured it into professional interior photography done by a professional interiors photographer. Because so, I knew that down the road, if I wanted to get more clients, I couldn't bring them a DVD and show them a TV show. Mm-hmm. They would need to see like photography of my work. And a lot of times my friends would give me so much slack and they'd be like, you, you spent like 30 grand in photos the last three years or, like to do what with? I'm like, well, to pitch the magazines. And then lo and behold, 2008 came and the market crashed and interior design, interior designers were freaking out because mm-hmm. nobody wanted to spend money on their home because yeah. people were losing them. Right. And this is the turning point. This is... You know how some people end up having their a career that which was was not what they originally planned right. on at all. Yes. Like, how do you feel your, yeah. your yours has gone? You're doing what you want to do, right? Yeah, I'm totally doing what I want to do. But I thought that I would be in radio still. And, oh, really? I was in radio for yeah for a long time, and so. But I mean, I'm doing the podcast, so that's radio ish. <laughs> kind of radio ish. Yeah. 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 Well, now I think it's all encompassing. I think every single person in this planet is omnimedia. You mm-hmm. have a social presence, you have a pod presence, and then you have maybe radio presence, and yes. you have TV. Well, what happened was all those images that I'd been pitching pitching to magazine editors at the time they found them. This was 2008, 2009. So they found them either too hipster. Uh, too approachable meaning like a lot of times when you read interior design magazines they're so dreamy that right. it's like it's like aspirational right That's aspirational is the perfect mm-hmm. word and it's uh, it's eye candy you just look and you look and you're like one day maybe one right. day maybe the majority of my clients were uh, not that magnitude of of income so i think what happened was magazines all have a very specific bible or a style or an audience and mine didn't fit in any of those mm-hmm. however at the time it was a changing landscape because people didn't want to spend money to remodel their home because they thought they were losing money, blah, blah, blah. And I was on a panel um, at the Pacific Design Center because I had, what I decided to do was launch my own blog. But I didn't want to really call it a blog because I wrote it super editorially. It almost could have been transferred directly to the printed page the way they wow. had laid it out. And instead of writing about like, this couch is beautiful, this room is beautiful, don't you love this? I wrote about all the bad stuff. Like... Mm. I never would have chosen this color green for this bathroom because it is so unflattering on people's skin or the way that I styled this room, I should have rethought it because that plant actually would never thrive with the amount of low light that room gets in real life. There were all these things that I, it was an education for me. After like 72 hours, I had multiple panels calling to like fly me to be on panels to talk about like taking, being one of the first interior designers to embrace digital and also for breaking the rules on like, you know, talking about what I did wrong as a, mm. as a self-taught designer. So 
what happened was I ended up being on a panel, panel at the Pacific Design Center and I happened to meet um, one of the most amazing people I've ever met, ever met in my life who was in charge of the digital content at HGTV.com. And we started talking and she saw my work and, and realized that it was applicable. It was affordable. It was attainable. It's packed with color. There's stuff that's totally ready-made that you buy off the shelf. There's stuff that's vintage, stuff we make ourselves, a high-end rug, a low-end piece of art. And she saw, like, I think this is where design is going. And now with Pinterest and, oh, that one website, there's oh, there's, there's this one website. I keep forgetting what it's called, but it's really smart. It's made interior design super, um, uh, like, attainable to almost everyone. I'll, it's I'll, not Dwell or something Oh, uh, it's similar lines. to that. It is called Home... I'll, it'll come back to it. I'll know okay. it. But anyhow, I was in the right place at the right time. We really hit it off. And it turns out she needed some content and she needed somebody that would be able to design stuff for real, but also write about it and caption things and, and be able to refer to tools correctly. And the next thing you know, uh, I started doing stuff for HGTV as TBS kind of, no, no TV shows always run mm -hmm. their course. And I never in a million years thought that I'd be an interior designer who was working in the digital medium. And mm -hmm. I have just been busting out spaces left and right for hgtv.com for the past eight years and it has been the best eight years of my life and i love wow. every single minute of it i love every person i work with mm. and everybody has it's just the dreamiest job and a lot of times like if i wake up and i complain like i always tell people like i deserve to be like eaten alive by like a velociraptor or something <laughs> because like it's like this is the stuff i would do for fun but i'm getting paid mm. so that's where i'm at now and then after doing all the digital houses I, I guess I, I made enough of a presence over there on HGTV.com and I started um, I started uh, designing the giveaway homes, which are HGTV Dream Home and HGTV yeah. Urban Oasis. And those are by far my favorite projects I've ever done. You have a favorite project. Tell me yours. Oh, well, the the most recent one you did in the North... Nor in the Pacific Northwest? Yes, yes, yes. The Black House? Oh my gosh. Fantastic. I loved it. And I loved the the murals too. Did that you? That Celery did. Yes. Thank you oh so much. I loved that. I mean, everything was just, it, it was just so great. Different, and, yeah, right? Yeah, it was so different. And I think that you answered one of the questions that I wanted to ask you too later on because I wanted to ask you what was something that you feel like you did right in your career. And it sounds like one of those things is just breaking the rules. Just Absolutely. Just doing what you felt you wanted to do, right? Yeah. Or well, the th first of all, going back, so the, the project that you're referring to right now is called HGTV Dream Home mm -hmm. 2000. Oh, this is 2018 right now, the yeah. one, right? I, I don't know the years. <laughs> it's all blur now. After 30, everything's the same. <laughs> right, um, right. Uh, so it's called HGTV Dream Home 2018, and it's in, um, in this amazing town called Gig Harbor, Washington. And it was like a 1970s contemporary that had really no identity, and we completely redid it inside and out. And the exterior, I painted black, because anytime you're dealing with one of those asymmetrical homes that doesn't have much of an identity, if you paint it a really dark color, whether it's black, charcoal, dark green, dark blue, it immediately adds drama. And then what it does is it really kind of blends into the beautiful landscape behind it, if there's a beautiful landscape. And this piece of property happens to be sitting on Henderson Bay, which is part of the Puget Sound of yeah. Washington State. By the way, people in Washington State get so mad when you say Washington State. Really? Yeah, because they're like, they're like, it's just Washington. And I'm like, oh. well, on the East Coast, we right. when we say Washington, people think we're going to Washington D.C. Right. So I've been, I have to, I have to curb my terminology when I'm up there in the state of Washington. I find myself consistently saying Washington. When I'm back here, I say Washington, <laughs> Washington State, State, just because I don't want to make anybody right. mad. Uh, but thank you for loving that project. Yes. And there, um, th there was two murals that Heidi's referring to, and we had these two dead space walls. Um, almost every room in the house has a sick view of the Puget Sound, but when you're welcomed up to the master bedroom and you have a beautiful view out of the Puget Sound, but then when you're the, the up 
the master is a top floor and one part of it's a living room with a sick view. The other part of it is a bed. And there's really, there was no architectural interest over where the bed was. So my artist friend, Celery, we referred to old Washington state, or I can't say, here I go again, Washington <laughs> state, uh, Washington tourism mm-hmm. billboards from the thirties and forties and fifties. So she kind of did her own interpretation to introduce Mount Rainier there with a really cool type font that was a little feminine. And then on the bottom floor, we had this bump out, which is about 18 inches, which made it when, I, when we were first remodeling the house, have you ever have you ever remodeled a house before? No. Well, I, no, I I don't I don't know why I said that. Of course, yeah, our house was built in the '60s, and we redid like just about everything. <laughs> okay, then you've definitely remodeled a house. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so mine was built in, built in 1965, and I'm in Buckhead. I'm maybe six minutes from here, so yeah. I, this is my area. But one of the things, uh, where was I going with this? We I was talking about uh, the bump out. The, okay, thank you. The bump yeah. out. This is where this is why my why, earlier I told Heidi I wasn't feeling well, and you can already tell because I'm going on to like I'm already past subjects but it was this it happened during the remodel it turns out we had to bump out the wall a little bit more about 18 inches which um 18 inches in a space where you're going to have two identical sofas just that 18 inches can really all of a sudden throw off your space plan so all of a sudden i had this wall that was intrusive and we needed to do something with it so it just didn't seem like i don't know it just didn't seem off-putting so celery turned it into this huge masterpiece it's it's a it's a work of art that she did of the space needle and all different shades of pastels which when you think of the, pa- the of pastels you don't think of washington no. right yeah and if you're That's on pinterest fantastic. or or if you oh home polish was the name of that website oh, i was talking about home polish okay yeah it makes um it makes uh it brings interior designers um it makes design i think design affordable to people who are interested in having their home design oh. but what I was getting at with that is if you look through home polish, you can see the trends with a lot of millennials. I'm a Gen Xer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, nice. have you heard the term millennial pink? Um, oh, yes. We were going to talk about that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Are you a Gen Xer or a millennial? So I'm an Xennial. So you're, you're I'm like, like in between. You're like 81? Yes. yes okay. I'm exactly 81. In 1981. Yes. So mm-hmm. I'm, so you and I are just a few years apart. I'm 76. So I, I think I am, I, I always get this is like gray area for I all know. of us. I think <laughs> I am either at the very end. The end of the of the uh, Gen Xers, mm-hmm. I think, because I yeah. think the people that were born like in '68 are also Gen Xers. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. We got to do our research. I it's know. always changing. It too. is always changing because before people used to say that I was a millennial, but I was like, well, I kind of relate to millennials, but I also kind of relate to Gen Xers. Like I'm in between. And that's so. called the Z- the Xennial. The Xennial. What I was gonna <laughs> what I was gonna say is that whole term millennial pink, which been has been done to death, but. I've always used muted muted pink mm. my entire career and I'm as a almost as a neutral and I'm just so happy to see that like everybody's been embracing it. What are your thoughts on this this whole millennial pink thing? Oh, I love it. I mean, I've always loved pink like in some shade. Um I think I was on like a slightly peach um phase for a little bit, not like overwhelming, but just little pops here and there. Um but I really do love the millennial pink. Peach is a tough one. Peach yeah. is peach is pretty complex and it yeah, is yeah. something that has to be done in small increments with a ton of natural light and a light. lot of white. Otherwise it could just yes. look really bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tough colors. <sighs> Anyways. Well, you know what? Since we're talking about millennial pink, let's go and play this game that I have. Sure. Okay. So this is um I lose most games, so this n- could be no, a disaster. It's, it's, you're the only one that's playing. Oh, so then I guess you're I'll gonna win. win. <laughs> My favorite type this of game is, is one favorite. I can win. <laughs> so this is a takeoff of that uh, Mary wah, 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 bow, Yeah, yeah, kill. yeah. Uh-huh. Um so this is I'm calling it um 
Barry, Mary, or Deal. Okay. So you have to choose. I'm going to give you three different like trends or interior design, you know, things, and you have to tell me whether you want to just bury it, get rid of it uh-huh. forever. If you would love to marry it, you want it in your life for always, or you're like, I can deal with it. Oh, okay. that's pretty cute. Okay, so, got it. I got, got it. Get it? Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So the first one, I think you're going to love. I already know. I think what you're going to say on this one. Okay. Buffalo check, sunburst mirrors, mirrored furniture. Which one would you bury, marry, or you can deal with? Buffalo check, marry. What were the other two? Sunburst mirrors, mirrored furniture. I would bury mirrored furniture just because I have it and it's so hard to take care of because of fingerprints. And as a designer who deals with television, I can't shoot mirrored furniture because then the cameras show up in it. Oh, right. So so we've got Mary Buffalo Check. Mm -hmm. We've got Barry Mirrored Furniture. Yeah. And then deal Deal with... Sunburst uh, mirrors. I'm always a fan of the starburst mirror as long as they're done well. Sometimes if... There's a very classic shape that came out like in the 60s and the 70s. Um, and if, as long as the starburst is in somewhat of that shape, I think it's amazing. But when it, the shape has changed too much, I think it can look like it's trying too hard mm-hmm. to be something it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That was fun. And okay. Buffalo check is like my signature. So I know. I knew have... you were going to, I knew you were going to say marry that one. <laughs> yeah. You've done your research. Very impressed. Um, okay. So here's another one. Uh, this may be a little harder. Okay. Black and white decor, rose gold. Millennial pink. Which one would you bury, marry, or you could deal with? I would bury rose gold decor and only because it's very hard to work it with. Is. Yes. It's stunning, but you have to have the perfectly blank, maybe all white and black palette with tons of mm. asymmetry. It's kind of meant, it's a tough one. So I would bury yeah. rose gold. Mm-hmm. And then did you say black and white color schemes? Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. And then what was the last one? A millennial pink. Uh, black and white color schemes marry millennial pink deal because I've always used it in my work, but I think now since it's so popular, I'll find myself pulling back a little yes. bit, maybe in 10 years come back. It's kind of like when people started doing Chevron on everything, yeah. even like tissue boxes. Yeah. I-, I will always love Chevron, but I'm, I'm chilling out now. Uh, just because it's um, it's so overdone that I just right. don't want to seem like I'm on the same bandwagon. Yeah, as everyone totally. Else. When everyone does it, it, yeah, for me too, I'm just like, eh. remember, I did- remember in the early '90s when that happened to Madonna. Like every single girl, like from age yes. like five to twelve, they oh. dressed exactly for like five years. Everybody yes. dressed just like Madonna, yeah. and at that point, she changed her look ten right. times. <laughs> right. That's kind of how I feel with yes. like with like millennial pink, and also mm-hmm. with with zigzag and chevron. Like mm-hmm. w- most designers who've used it for thirty years will move on for the next six years and then start using it again. But right now, we're just going to kind of let it go. Right. Totally. Um, and I did a rose gold Christmas uh, dec- decor for this year. I change up my Christmas decor every year. It was so hard. I like, get it behind really that. Was. It was. It turned out good. I did a white flocked tree, so Perfect. it had that white in there. But I thought that I would be able to add a little more like interest to it, and I I just couldn't. So I just kind of kept it pretty basic. But it, it did look pretty. But it was harder than I thought it would be. It's so complex mm-hmm. because the rose gold has this this really strange combination of a very sweet tone mm-hmm. and a very rich tone. So you're either going to go for that little pinky, the pinky yellow, or you're going to go for like the goldy yes. brown. 
And really the only thing you can do is have less is more and just right. let the rose gold shine against an all white or black backdrop mm-hmm. that, and that's the reason that I'm more of a, more of a berry just cause it's, a, it's so difficult. Yeah. And if you could pull it off, it's amazing. Right. But I, I don't even know that I have the skills after 12 yeah. years of doing this to really pull it off. So, yeah. so I congratulate you on your Christmas Well, you adventure. haven't seen it. You haven't seen <laughs> it yet. <laughs> Who knows? Okay. So one of the things that you mentioned at the very beginning was, uh, you said, okay, I have to work with all these like basically paperwork and all that other fun, you know, not so fun stuff before you actually get to design. I had um, another guest, Lainey Beth, on the podcast, and she said, I hate when people say, find your passion and you'll never work a day in your life. Because even if you find your passion, there it's still work. You know, you still have to do some of that stuff that you may not like. So do you agree with that? Or... Um, or do you feel like no? I at this point, I kind of just do my passion and love it. <laughs> I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. I'm I'm totally with her because it would be like if you were Jennifer Lawrence and somebody said she has the best life in the entire world. She's the best actress. She, mm-hmm. Best actress. She's gorgeous. She's the highest paid actress. We all love her. Right. If we can only imagine the amount of personal training, the amount of auditions she's at, the amount of flights she's on, mm-hmm. how sick she gets going back and forth to interviews. There's always a price tag that comes with it. So mm-hmm. I think my, my my mom and dad did say that growing up. Find something you're really passionate about doing and you'll never work a day in your life. I would say I kind of do feel like my my career world is that. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's really not like I'm working. The only downside is I would say interior design is 30% the fun stuff, the shopping, mm-hmm. the sourcing, the styling photo shoots, and 70% space plans, code regulations, mm. transportations, who's covering this cost, receiving, who's receiving it, how much does it how much does it cost to have somebody unwrap it and assemble the piece? How much insurance do we have to have on that piece of art to get it from point A to point B? Uh, in the kids' room, are we going to make sure that um, we have enough round surfaces so the children don't run, run into something and hurt themselves on mm. a corner? There's a bunch of stuff that's a little bit more technical, which is really why we get hired. I mean, we get hired because we have to think that we don't just think about the pretty. Right. So I see where she's going for sure. Uh, So I would say I'm on the fence. I would say that she's definitely right that it's Mm -hmm. not like she wakes up every morning and she just goes and picks fabrics and puts furniture together and has glamorous photo shoots. That may be 10 to 20% of it. Right. But I still wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. The only thing that I will say now at 41 is that like... When I was little, I was obsessed with this TV show that my parents would watch on Saturday nights. It was called 30 something. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like 13 and being like, I want to be 30 or I want to be 31 or 32 because these people are not necessarily 20 or 21 at an entry level job. They're Mm -hmm. still young. They're still fit. They're having children. They have fun social lives. They own homes. They go on vacations. So I was always excited to turn 30. And all throughout my 30s, I kept hustling. I would say photo shoots every single week, house installations every other week. Blah, 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 blah. At 40, now I'm 41 now. The only the only thing that's kind of hard is when you get when you're on this trajectory and you're still going, still going, still going, eventually like the physical starts to come. And I've re- realized um lately, like when I'm when I'm on an installation, meaning that I could be at a house for one day, six days, two weeks, getting every single thing put into space where it's supposed to go, which is what I got mm-hmm. hired for. When you're not like 26 or 30 anymore, your yeah. feet start to hurt or your mm-hmm. back starts to hurt. And I can see where her comment comes mm-hmm. from. There's there's a there's a lot of physical involved with interior design when yeah. you're hands-on. And I didn't know that. So mm-hmm. uh, I think one of the one of the big things I learned is the interior design world is really physical and making sure mm-hmm. that you exercise 
is really a big part of it because I'm telling you, every, moving a sofa like four or five times a week, you feel that in your lower back. Mm. I don't know why 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 I went off on a tangent about talking about hurting and being 41. <laughs> I guess I just tend to share too much. That's my that's my problem. I love it. No, I think it's great. And you look way younger too, by Thank the you. way. So I, would, I like hearing that. Yeah, I wouldn't have ever, even though you gave your ear that you were born. <laughs> I don't do math too well, so <laughs> it may take me a little while. We both work in the entertainment yes. industry. Math is not oh my our gosh. strong suit. I was not required to do that in college at all. Um, okay, so talking about just, I think we talked a little bit about what you did right in your mm-hmm. career. Is there anything that you feel like maybe you did, maybe not even wrong, but you're like, you know, if somebody else was getting into this career, this is the advice that I would say to maybe not do this or. Yeah. Well, one of the things you asked me to touch on was um, was breaking the rules. And mm-hmm. I think it's, there are certain rules that you should not break in interior design. As long as you get scale, proportion, balance, space planning, if you get all those, you can pretty much develop everything else to create your own aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You really can, but it's you've got to get your proportion and your scale right in the relationship one to another and make sure your your space plans make sense and understand lighting and how colors play together. But I think what I did kind of backwards was a lot of people pay their dues by working as an intern at a firm and slowly uh, doing things like taking phone calls, sourcing materials, putting together price lists, doing space plans, and then eventually getting to, getting to go on photo shoots and see rooms complete. I did it backwards. I got to make complete rooms, and then I, I found myself having to work backwards to learn how to illustrate and to learn to hire people to start drawing things to pitch. So I would say for anybody who is trying to get into interior design, you don't I'm a huge fan of people who are formally educated. Like a lot of my friends who have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to call themselves like an AI, an ASID, mm. that's the American Society of Interior Design, and have something called NCIDQ, which means you are legit. Like you have all these certifications, you know all this stuff that's technical. A lot of times I wish I would have spent the time to go back and get all the certifications because mm. it's the unfun stuff that you really need to know to make sure that you're walking away from a successful project. So I would say anybody who's thinking of getting getting into interior design, if they have the time to at least maybe do an an unpaid internship at a firm to learn some of the basics and to be around people who draw or know programs that teach you how to do AutoCAD or SketchUp, the ability to be able to draw out your spaces and then show them them to your clients, it's just an easier sell. Mm -hmm. So that would maybe be my one regret. But the other thing is delegating is everything when you're running a business. Mm -hmm. So I have such incredible people that I don't want to say work for me, but I have so many people people that work with me who are better at drawing and not as strong as decorating. So as a business owner, I feel like I've done it all right, where I have everybody in place to do what they do best. So they love waking up every day and coming to work. But I do wish, I really do wish that I would have taken the time to really learn how to illustrate and draw beautifully because Mm -hmm. I'm envious of interior designers who can do that. Yeah, that's, that's great. Okay. So as far as us regular people (laughs) that have homes, what is some piece of advice that you would give that we could create, um, a space that not only looks good in our home, but also feels good, you know, when you come home. What's what's a piece of advice you'd give? It's going to be kind of a long answer, but I think one of the first things that I realized that people do wrong, that I consider to be kind of wrong when they do their homes is a lot of times people leave their ceilings unpainted, but they paint the walls. Mm. Um, there's just, interior designers, we call the ceiling the fifth wall. So a lot of times you lose the opportunity to add personality or to add a little bit more color by painting the ceiling. So Almost every house I do, even if I'm going with, let's just say, a very muted blue-gray wall, I'll do the same color on the ceiling. And what it does is it envelops the whole room. And even if you happen to have a lower ceiling, 
it kind of disappears because your your eye no longer goes up to the unpainted ceiling. Your eye goes around the whole room as a whole. So I'm a huge fan of of not neglecting ceilings. And the other thing that that's huge for me is is art. I think that you can have a whole bunch of furniture that's from that's bought this mass producer bought retail. But if you can pair it with original pieces of art that you find at student art shows, flea markets, thrift stores, you immediately strike this really nice balance between personal and like well-designed. And to me, the key has always been very unusual, very interesting pieces of art. So I say if you get... If, if you play with paint, because it's just paint, you're looking right. at $30, a ca- depending on where you shop. I mean, it can be between 30 Some places, it's 140 gallon, depending on, where you're, pretending, uh, depending on where you're shopping. But I think if you play with color, you don't neglect the ceilings. And then if you pair some of the stuff that you have with really interesting art, you'll find mm-hmm. that you can create a really personal, well-decorated room without necessarily having to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. And to me, I think art, art and lighting are, are the mm. two things that I think immediately can transform any space. Yeah. One huge piece of art, it can even be a huge blank white canvas mm. that's just framed with wood that you do yourself on a hot pink wall mm. in front of a, a sofa that's from a retail store. And I think that you can have a room that you'd be proud of without spending yeah. a lot of money. And Brian actually has, for anybody that's listening too, Brian has this amazing wall at his on his Buckhead home. You would think that I like know Brian really personally by <laughs> this all the stuff social that media I throw. For you. <laughs> but I do follow him on social media. And he's got this amazing wall in the entrance of your home in Buckhead that is just full of art and it is just done so beautifully. And it's just I mean I could just look at it all day long. And so if you are looking for like examples, then check out check out his Instagram feed and look at that wall because it's amazing. It's oh, yeah. some of the other stuff you do. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Mm-hmm. That was a, a that project took me about three months because it's when we bought this house we really wanted an entryway that was going to be packed with personality and I have so much art even going back to like college even though th- things and finances and the, the levels the the levels of jobs and the budgets I'm working on now are different I still have like 15 pieces $15 pieces of art that I found back when I lived in Los Angeles at the Rose Bowl flea market that have as much meaning to me as something that I had commissioned so we truly wanted to let our entry feel like like a like an art gallery and it took a long time to put that together because it was an editing process so I'm glad you appreciate it yeah it's great so speaking of Instagram too how can people follow along with you because I know they'll be in just as inspired as I will well, my handle's at B Patrick Flynn, and I think it's because when Instagram first started, like in, when I got on in 2012, I, I think that Brian Patrick Flynn was too long. Mm-hmm. So, which is weird because every time I go someplace, somebody will come up and introduce themselves to the, me, and they'll be like Patrick, Patrick, and I don't look at them because that's <laughs> not my name. And then I realize, oh, that because oh, they're, they're just Instagram. a B. So yeah. they, um, but so my handle's at B Patrick Flynn, but I also have an adventure travel handle yes. now, which is at Flint International. So it's like okay. international, but with Flint in the beginning, uh, because I spent a ton of time time in Scandinavia, um, mm. at Greenland and Iceland. And I just came back from Antarctica. Yeah. So I'm a huge travel person. I like to go places most people don't go just because of the colors and textures that just inspire mm-hmm. me. So my Instagram, I, I try to, I probably post one, about one or two photos in my feed a week, but I use my stories a lot to tell mm-hmm. behind the scenes stories of all my installations. Yeah, And those are usually pretty comical because I don't, so many things go wrong. Right. And I love sharing the stuff that goes wrong because like, I think that's the stuff nobody ever talks about. And to me, that's where you get your education. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, if you're lucky enough to follow him around Christmas time, then I know last Christmas you did a whole commentary on all the Hallmark Christmas movies. I love those things. It was fantastic. I was like, I want to just watch movies now with your commentary. Oh, man. They were so funny. They're addictive. Like, cause like, there's no villain. Yes. Like, so for a good, like, it happens, 
they start around Thanksgiving. So you've got this full month of of Candace Cameron Bure. You've got Lacey Chabert from uh, from Mean Girls. Uh, there, there's a lot of people who've been working in TV our whole lives since we were kids who are still working, and they make these really happy Christmas uh, hol- Christmas and holiday films because there's mm-hmm. some there's some that are even based around right. New Year's. Right. And there's never a villain. Yeah. Uh, there's never any. There, there's never really a plot twist that's serious, and you're just looking at these beautifully decorated homes. Yeah. Gorgeous people with uh-huh. perfect hair. Right. And everything has snow on it. Right. And there's always super old cars from the 50s. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize that that, that's like my favorite part of the season is just sitting home and watching those and the amount of people that started to message me about that. It turns out a lot of people were just afraid to admit that they they love love them. them. (gasps) Yeah, it makes it because they just make everybody happy because there's no drama. It's just, it's just Christmas presents and there's a Christmas tree farm and a woman who's really successful in the city and her car breaks down. She meets the guy that owns the Christmas tree farm. She falls in love with his family. And what is she going to do? You never know, but it always ends out. It always ends up happy, and that's kind of that's kind of the way I like life. You gave people the courage to come out for their Hallmark Christmas holiday movie. It was an that's intervention. Awesome. <laughs> it was an intervention via fa- uh, Instagram stories. I love it. That's awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Just loved having you here. I could talk to you for a long time, but um, anyways, thank you so much. Follow Brian. Check out all the awesome stuff that he's doing now and. For the year to come. And you should also know that Heidi got me a thank you gift for coming and the bag that it's in <laughs> is millennial pink. So kudos to you on that. As a Georgia peach, she loves pleasing people. So she wants to know how she can improve the show. So let her know either on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Heidi Rue. Also be kind because she's my wife. And if she has a bad day, then I'm really going to hear about it. 